Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Tarek, heads or tails? Oh, I'm going tails. It's heads. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll defer today. Trey's going to defer. Tarek, you got the ball. And you know what? It's startup season. and uh, <laughs> Definitively it's not. I need some help in this draft here. I am between a couple running backs this week. And uh, those running backs are Nick Chubb and J.K. Dobbins. Which way would you push me here? It's still startup season, huh? Yeah, Man. I, I mean, the time, time, time froze still in like April. You know it, dude. I mean, <laughs> um, you can still join a league, right? Yeah, that's true. It's always startup season. Um, between Nick Chubb and J.K. Dobbins, uh, I'll go with J.K. Dobbins. Um, I think Nick Chubb, you know, fair to say that he is a better NFL running back at this point in time, but he's also three or four years younger or excuse me, three or four years older than JK Dobbins and JK Dobbins, I think still has some receiving upside that, uh, I think Nick Chubb just is not, we're never going to see that out of Nick Chubb. Um, and yeah, so it really just comes down to youth and the uh, untapped receiving potential that we saw from J.K. Dobbins coming out of Ohio State. All right. Well, Trey, you deferred. So I guess uh, you got Chubb or you got a Chubb. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the other side of this coin here and I'll uh, completely agree with Tarek here that, uh, yeah, J.K. Dobbins is the right pick. Um, the, <laughs> the one thing I will kind of disagree with, which I guess is in Chubb's favor, is I don't think there's necessarily a ton of upside in jk dobbins uh pass catching profile so uh you know i think there's reason to believe that for like especially running backs in these uh offenses where the quarterback is also a runner that you know rather than checking down to the running back they're more likely to you know take off and and you know scramble and get the the yards on the ground themselves so I think that's just kind of what you get in that sort of system. And that just means his ceiling is always going to be capped. Whereas, I don't know. I mean, if, if say Deshaun Watson or Josh Rosen is coming in and checking it down to Chubb in a, um, you know, passing situation, then he could potentially improve on those numbers, especially if Hunt leaves elsewhere. So Chubb's still the guy I like, but, you know, I'm, I'm just saying all this because of the exercise. I would take J.K. Dobbins over Chubb in a startup. Well, I'm looking at John's ranks. John has Chubb one spot ahead of J.K. Dobbins here. So, John, defend your guy. You know what, Marls? I've got a bit of a life philosophy that I'd like to share with you today. Whenever I find myself between two guys, I always get a Chubb. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I couldn't resist. No, that was good. There you that have was it. Good. I mean, when in doubt, <laughs> I think we're done there. <laughs> Cut it. Let's go. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchuia. With me, as always, John Alexander, Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. Yes, that is right for the first time in what feels like three months or something. All four Chucks are in the building. 
Trey, you were the one who missed last week, so naturally going to throw it to you first. What's going on, my brother? That is Chucks, not Chubbs. I'm good, man. I'm good. I've uh, actually been uh, stuck doing uh, jury duty uh, last week, which is uh, why I was out. So uh, I'm fulfilling my civil commitment here, but uh, nah, it's good to be back and uh, and dive into this with you guys. That's really why you were out. Yeah, jury duty's the new going to Boston. None of you guys asked. I was just like, hey, sorry, guys, I can't do it this week. no follow-up questions i don't think we would have believed you yeah you didn't like claim a conflict or something or did you claim a conflict no didn't didn't even proffer it just wow busy at work you really did your duty didn't you sure did dude goddamn citizen over here (laughs) mitch what's going on man not jury duty uh i had that once upon a time did not enjoy uh i I think i just opt out these days just act like i'm crazy not acting yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I i've never received uh jury duty summons um but i think my plan will be to be like no you know what uh i i believe that um perjury is fine you know yeah that's and, all it uh, takes just like why just like blatant like <laughs> i don't like this you're like oh get this crazy <laughs> bastard out of here john what's going on man hey uh it's i'm i'm doing great and i'm really excited to talk about fantasy football today and no extraneous topics literally anything <laughs> but jury duty let's go yeah amen guys <laughs> all right so today we are talking polarizing players so i want to give a quick shout out to our part-time producer slash fact checker kyle who came up with this idea about a year ago Um, So it's become a yearly tradition on TLG. And since this is our second year, this will be our second time we do polarizing players. And these players, they could be polarizing because we have wildly different opinions on them internally or because our consensus is very different from like the keep trade cut market price or just because, you know, you're on fantasy Twitter and these players, for whatever reason, they spark a lot of debate. So without further ado, let's kick off this first half. We're going to talk about eight total polarizing players today. And the first one is going to be Dalton Schultz, tight end for the Dallas Cowboys, coming off of a very surprising tight end three overall season in PPR. The former fourth round pick out of Stanford is polarizing specifically in the TLG streets. Mitch, Mm -hmm. you've got him all the way up at tight end five and John all the way down at tight end 14. Me and Trey are kind of the moderating opinion. We're like right at market consensus at tight end eight. So Mitch, let's start with you. Make the case for Dalton Infinity Schultz top five dynasty tight end. Oh man, that sounds sexy. I want to pour a little water on this fire real quick. Uh, because I know Schultz in the top five is extremely spicy. But I finally approached my tight end ranks today, and instead of a big six tight ends like we talk, I believe the top tier for me is more like a big four with Mark Andrews, Pitts, Kittle, and Kelsey. And uh, then there's that second tier here with players like Waller, Hawkinson, Goddard, Fryermuth, and Dalton Schultz. And so... I have a clear tear break for them because I take a big enough issue with either their situation or their game or age or whatever. So if I squint my eyes and focus on the next two years, I truly believe Dalton Schultz, I can't say his name, Dalton Schultz will score more fantasy points 
than all the tight ends I just mentioned. So I think he's going to do this because Dak loves him and Dak loves to use him as a safety valve. And, you know, player profiler had him scoring that 12.3 points per game last year on 104 targets. Uh, he was tight end six and he had a 16.4% target share. And I think that's likely to go up with Amari Cooper getting out of there. So I don't know. I, I think he's just a little bit safer than the other guys and yeah to infinity and beyond yeah i I think we see this happen a lot in uh dynasty fantasy football uh dalton schultz tight end three in ppr last year right y'all know who was tight end three in ppr uh in 2020 robert tunyon Tunyon. you want to know how he did last year like you know it it happens like with these top these guys that aren't what i would consider top six one of them breaks out, they have a really good season, but it's really hard to repeat that. So uh, I kind of hate the tight end eight rating on keep trade cut just because I feel like he's one of those guys that could easily fall tight end six to 20, essentially. And I don't think it's likely that he's going to repeat his tight end three. Uh, I'm much happier taking guys that I think are better athletes, better prospects, Cole Komet, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, a whole range of guys that I would take before Dalton Schultz myself. It's not because he's a bad player, just because I think he got a little lucky. And I think it's as simple as that. So I'm not willing to pay top 10 uh, price to get him on my squad. Well, yeah, that's that's funny you say that because um, that's kind of the second part of how I feel about this tier of tight end. So the reason that tier break is here is because I tend to lean more toward a wide receiver or a running back if I'm picking in a startup in this range anyway. So I'm just fading this group as a whole. I'd rather have like Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, uh, like Leonard Fournette or Brandon Ayuk even in this range of a startup than the Dalton Schultz or the Hawkinson. Just so, yeah. Yeah, and I I guess one of the things I'm picking up on too is, uh, you know, John, you, you mentioned he got a little bit lucky last year. I think he definitely did with the touchdowns. So I do think the touchdown regression is coming for him this year. And and looking at the target share numbers, Mitch, you mentioned like 16 point something percent target share. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that ranked 13th in the league last year and same with his air yard share. So that to me, given like the fact that he's a mediocre athlete, I don't really see that there's like a ton of upside going from there. So I kind of view that as a little bit more of the ceiling outcome. Like I'm, I'm fine with the projection, you know, saying like he's probably going to project as a top 10 tight end. Like I'm okay with that, but I think there's more upside with guys like Goddard, guys like Hawkinson, even somebody like Fryermuth who are, you know, all in that same range. Yeah, definitely. Because of their athletic, you know, upside and their, their pass catching ability. I'm fine with his current keep trade cut price. Unlike John, like I've, I've got him <laughs> right at tight end eight. Um, and, but I hear what John is saying because he kind of gives me Austin Hooper vibes in terms of like a guy who produced really well for one year, kind of on the back of some touchdowns on the back of, I mean, Austin Hooper had even better volume that one year, right? Then he kind of disappoints over the next few years, just because he's like, not that athletically gifted of a tight end. Like he's not really going to command those targets. So that's, the vibes I get at the same time, like I see what Mitch is saying, like he's a fine tight end, like he's hashtag good enough. Right. And he's on a team that's going to be high volume. So I see where you're coming from. Let's move on to the next polarizing player we're going to talk about. And that is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley 
you know, he broke out in a big way in 2020, but he did not play most of last year due to personal reasons. And he's not slated to play next year due to gambling while sitting on the toilet. So Trey, (laughs) you're the high man on Ridley at wide receiver 35 in the ranks while John Mitch and I kind of have him closer to the keep trade cut window of wide receiver 53. Talk to us about, you know, why you've got Ridley potentially slated as a value right now. Yeah, so so 35 is probably a little bit too high, but I, I put him there because I'm just assuming that following the suspension, he's going to return in 2023 and be just as good as he was before he was suspended. And let's not forget, he is a very good wide receiver in the NFL. He has been top 10 in air yard share and target share the last two years in a row. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm putting him there at 35 because I've got him above guys like, you know, Chase Claypool, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, even Jahan Dotson, the rookie. I'm just much more confident that when Ridley gets back, he's going to give you top 12 production than some of those other guys that are going in that range, you know, with, with like more limited ceilings or, you know, age cliffs coming. So assuming he misses all of this year, like I think, you know, people have talked about the age concerns. I would still expect him to give us, you know, another two to three years after that when he comes back. So it's not like even a one year deal at this point. So, you know, obviously if you're trying to contend this year, it's like tough to keep him on like the end of your bench, you know, but if you're not contending, I think he's a great target. And his value is just like, you know, basically guaranteed to go up from here. Yeah, I, th- I definitely agree with that last part. Um, the value is going to go up from here. I'm looking at the sleeper, most recent sleeper ADP is going as wide receiver 57 in the most recent startups, which uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to hold. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of questions that make me uncomfortable. Uh, Drake London being a primary question, like how's that going to work? Uh, Kyle Pitts, of course, is there. And then they're all going to be trying to compete to have a new uh, relationship with a new quarterback, presumably. And I'm assuming here that Ridley stays with the Falcons, which, you know, maybe is a bad assumption since he was trying to leave anyway. Uh, I I just there's too many questions for me. You take a year off like that. That makes me really nervous. Um, I think there's a chance that he appeals it and maybe he gets to play this season. I don't know. That's just speculation. And if that happens, I'm feeling a lot better about wide receiver 57. Um, but if you take a year off, um, you know, that, 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 that's the sort of thing that makes me nervous. That's kind of why I'm out right now. I, I've, I've received a few offers for Calvin Ridley and I, and they, they look good on paper, but it's just like, okay, I'm going to sit for a year and I'm going to hope. And that's, that's, what's really holding me back right now is like, you, like you said, he's, he's probably a top five, top 10 guy when he plays. Um, uh, but you never know what happens when a guy takes a year off like that. Yeah. And, and just to your one point about the the chance of him even coming back this year, I do think like it's unlikely that that happens, right? Like yeah, I would say yeah. maybe one in 10 chance that right, he's right. able to reduce that down to even like eight games versus the full season. Right. But I think there is going to be pressure on the league with like the whole Deshaun Watson <laughs> situation. Like it's going to be difficult to justify, you know, a half a season for him and a full season for Ridley, you know, given the circumstances of the the suspensions, but um, no, I still think he's a good player. And, and when he comes back, he's going to give you, you know, what he's given us the last two or three years. Oh man, guys, let me get in here. Cause I, I couldn't disagree with you, you both anymore here. I, I think Calvin Ridley might be toast and like, it, look, it's his insulation is, is gone. He's missing the most important years of his career right now. Like missing all but four games last year, uh, Trey, that age cliff that you mentioned, I mean, he'll be turning 29 years old when he steps on the field next year. 
And like we mentioned, we don't really know like where that's going to be. So uh, when I'm thinking about fantasy impact, like what my expectations would be for him when he came back, I'm thinking something like a wide receiver three with upside. I like like we're worried about Deshaun Watson coming back and playing this year. We're we're talking about things last episode similar to like, well, he's not just going to hit the ground running, is he? Like he's missing important time. I think we can apply that here as well, especially if he's in a new situation. So that that's fair, but playing receiver is a different position than playing quarterback. Like there it is very different like in terms of the, you know, what is demanded of you on the field like snap to snap. So like, yes, I'm not like taken away from like how difficult it is to play receiver, but like there is like a level of complexity and and like, you know, uh, like mental acuity that like the quarterback position, I think demands that, you know, receiver doesn't necessarily. Sure. But I mean, he turns 30 then, then what? Like I, I see more di- diminishing value than I do see uh, him improving from this wide receiver 53. I mean, I guess I have him at 61. So uh, just a drastic difference for us. If he sits on the shelf, like for this full year, I think his value has bottomed out. I think maybe it'll go a little bit lower, but you're going to start to see it creep back up into the 40s and 30s. And I'm not saying I'm going to agree with that because Mitch, I think you make a convincing case like when he comes back, like if we're going to be considering him depending on where he lands, like a wide receiver three with upside, then that's not something that you want to invest in even now and then sit on for a year. And I think that's possible. But I do also agree with Trey, like for now, I don't see his value going much lower than like wide receiver 53 on the market, right? So if you're not a contending team, I definitely see the reasoning behind investing. It's such a low cost of acquisition. Okay, let's move on to this next player. Cam Akers is our third polarizing player. Cam Akers showed flashes near the end of his rookie year as a potential workhorse back. He was able to sneak back into the regular season in week 18 of 2021 and then was given a whole lot of empty volume en route to that Rams Super Bowl win. And obviously, you know, I don't really have to repeat. This is a guy that came back from an Achilles tear within six months. Pretty amazing. Apparently, uh, James Robinson is doing it now, too. So yeah, no problemo. Yeah. For Kim Akers, we've got an old fashioned 2v2 duel for this player. Trey and I are markedly above market, having him at running back 11. Mitch and John's expectations clearly more tempered. John, you've got him all the way down at running back 23. So what is your reasoning for that? Yeah, I, and I, I've struggled with Cam Akers because on the face of it, it seems like he should be an easy buy, easy uh, top 15 kind of guy because he, I'm not afraid of Daryl Henderson. There's nobody behind Cam Akers that I'm worried about. Uh, but it's more about the offense in general. Just what I saw at the end of the season, it looks like they're running the ball to open up the passing game. Like it looks like they want to be successful throwing the ball. And I think their acquisitions this offseason prove that. It's like they didn't really add any running backs, but they did get wide receivers. So while I think Cam Akers is probably fine, like I think he's an average running back um, in a good situation, I just don't see that situation leading to running back one numbers 
this season, as long as Matthew Stafford is there, I, I, he's going to throw for 5,000 yards. They're going to use the the run to create the passing game. And so I, I'm just not valuing that. And you, you, and you never know, because I say I'm not afraid of Daryl Henderson, but I'm not really in charge there. Uh, we've seen, seen Daryl Henderson succeed in that role, at least moderately. So and I just, I don't know. It, there's too many questions for me. I don't feel like it's the glorious situation that a lot of people see. And so I, I think he, I think of him more as a running back too. And if he's the running back too for my team, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I mean, how quickly we forget about the Todd Gurley years, you know, when there was super concentrated carries and opportunity right. going to one running back, right? So we have seen that in this system before. Uh, you mentioned you think he's like an average running back, you know, uh, ECR and like fantasy pros projections would agree with you right now. He's going as the running back 16 or so uh, for redraft leagues this year. And I think given his age and given the situation and the ability to, you know, score uh, touchdowns like in that offense, I think that 16 should absolutely be his floor for our dynasty ranks here. And we we know he came in with a great prospect profile, like great athleticism, the second round draft cap, uh, you know, mixed production in the, in the ACC at Florida State. But I still think there's room for that efficiency to improve because he has been relatively inefficient you know, through the first two seasons, the limited action last year, but there's, there's room for that to go up with another year of development. And, you know, if he's, you know, healthy from the, uh, the injury and, and fully recovered. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much with John on this one. I have him at running back 19. So considerably behind the market here. And I think what it is, is that people are just afraid of missing out on acres because the ceiling just seems really, really high when you plug him into that running. It back is really one. high, right? But the ceiling is really high. It doesn't seem it. Yeah, it is. But if you plug him into that running back one workload, like that's, that's the ceiling for fantasy. And what I'm mm -hmm. saying is that I don't think that that is what Sean McVay has got going on right now. I'm like, they're assembling the stable of running backs. Like John mentioned, it's kind of an air raid there anyway. Like You're afraid of Kyron Williams. I'm afraid that they're going to be uh, giving the ball all around and focusing mostly on the pass and that the numbers aren't going to translate. But we've seen at the end of his rookie year, as well as in the playoffs in 2021, Sean McVay uh, giving a concerted effort to give Cam Akers probably too much work, right? right? Considering the, the return from injury. So it's it's not just that I'm I'm not going to say Yes, 100% Cam Akers is going to be the workhorse back in L.A. But the reason I have him ranked as running back 11 is because I've seen Sean McVay make him the workhorse back on a few occasions. And if he's going to do that as a 23-year-old who has like sub 200 touches on his body, like that's going to make me really excited, right? So it's not necessarily that I'm projecting him to be the workhorse back, but because it is not just like within the realm of possibility, I think it's a very real possibility. That's why he's he's a top 12 running back for me and ahead of consensus. But yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you don't think that's going to happen, then yeah, I'll take the cheaper guy and Daryl Henderson all over again this year. Yeah, true. I, I think Kendo is also underrated because of his upside as well. I, I think it's just worth pointing out that the other guys going in this range, Travis Etienne, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, 
Kenneth Walker, these are all guys that have questions. So it's really about mm-hmm. the guy that you feel most confident about. And so I say that in support of you, Tarek. You've come up with a good argument there. And I think you have to convince yourself to take any of those guys. True, true enough. Yeah, it is It is kind of a pick your spots range. I appreciate that context, John. All right, let's move on to the last polarizing player of the first half. And that is Tua Tungavailoa of the Miami Dolphins. Tua played 13 games last year and spent... Most of that time, just kind of shot putting balls to Jalen Waddle four yards down the field. <laughs> I have talked a few times this offseason about how I am willing to be impressed by Tua, given the narrative that he might just now be getting his throwing motion back in check after that brutal hip injury he suffered in the last year at Alabama. Despite this quote unquote willingness to be optimistic, I am still the low man of the group at QB 20. Uh, I guess Mitch has him at 21 now, too. So uh, that's still close to market price of quarterback 19 on keep trade cut. But Trey, all optimism flowing, radiating from Boston right now about Tua. You have him as a borderline quarterback one. So let's hear it, man. Yeah. And now this is three guys in a row that I'm I'm higher on than uh, market. But uh, all right. With with Tua, if you're contending, I, I get it. Like it's I think you can prefer some of the other guys like Matt Stafford or, um, you know, Russell Wilson that are going in that range of your contending roster. Right. But, but with Tua, you got to factor in, you know, the age and the opportunity to continue to develop post injury. Right. And I, I think at 19 on keep trade cut, like that's essentially like entirely upside from there, you know, like that, I don't, for a guy like that's going into his third year in the league, like I don't see how he can go like any lower than that based on what he's shown us so far. So this is another situation where this is, I think, a good young player that is actually ranked lower in Dynasty than Redraft. He's going right now as QB 16, according to Fantasy Pro's ECR. So this is that, you know, classic arbitrage theory. And if- But Trey, what about his first two years tells us that he's a good young player? Well, I mean, people have all like, you know, factored that in into the rankings that you're seeing right now, like in ECR, like uh, he's going as like the 16th quarterback off the board. So like for a lot of people, they're believing in the new coach. They're believing in the weapons that have like been put in place around him. And yeah, I mean, he has like struggled at times, but we've also seen like that situation be like extremely volatile and like, you know. Coming back from the 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 hip injury, I know this is all narrative e, but like still, it, to me, I'm seeing the market just being overly concerned about like the downside of him losing mm-hmm. his job, and I think he should be going closer to guys like Mac Jones in your rank as like a young Cousins or like a young Stafford type player. So just for clear, I'm sorry, Mitch, but just for clarification, like you are categorizing him as a value slash a good young player kind of solely based on this arbitrage comparison between redraft and dynasty. But like from a production standpoint, from how he's played on the field, I feel like we have very little reason, both from an analytical and a film perspective, to to think that he's any good yet, right? That's my point. Yeah. It's like, I, I see what you're saying from like the redraft to dynasty standpoint, because that's an interesting like arbitrage Shout out Adam Harstead type strategy. But like, 
I hear good young player and I'm like, I haven't seen good young player Tua since he was in college before he broke his hip. But Mitch, I'm going to let you go. Sorry for cutting you off. No, no, that's totally fine because honestly, it supports exactly where I'm going with this. Like I'm looking at this not even from a fantasy perspective, but from just a real football perspective because I have him at quarterback 21. I didn't even think I hated him that much, but I wanted to move Tua up because he's surrounded by serious talent now and like you'd think that he would perform better but i think the argument that he's going to lose his job is very real because like honestly guys which of you thinks that the dolphins are going to make the playoffs this year i mean they could they They could like sure they absolutely could get a wild card behind buffalo I mean, they almost made the playoffs last year, right. to be fair. I think that they could very well be the worst team in this division as well, though. And there's a very real chance that they don't. And that worse they, the, Yeah, because you you love the Jets, dude. I do love the <laughs> Jets. And so I just look, if he if they don't do it this year and if they don't do it next year, they're going to be looking to replace him. And, and him as the fantasy quarterback is going to have to start all over somewhere else. And I just it concerns me. And I have to be out. I'm priced out. Guys, let me just remind you that in 2021, he fractured a rib in week two and he fractured a finger in week eight. And so, yeah, he was limited and he only played uh, 13 games on the year. But Mm -hmm. there's reason to believe that, you know, with his completion percentage being what it is, 67.8%. Yes, granted, relatively low average depth of target. I, I, I hear you there. But, you know, this is an accurate player that has been limited by injury, limited by situation, and now has some very exciting weapons between Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill that can like help him take that step to the next level. Yeah, Trey, and that's why I say I am willing to be optimistic, not only because of everything that you just dictated, but because I know from watching him in college, even though I don't watch college football, I did watch Tua Tungavailoa, and that dude had a deep ball back then, right? So if he can recapture that, uh, I'll be more. He excited. had it last year too. He was number one in the league in deep ball completion percentage at fifty percent. Speaking of last year, I think the the perception of Tua is probably all wrong. Like people generally have a pretty good perception of somebody like Mac Jones. Tua on a pay, points per game basis did better in fantasy than Mac Jones did last year. He did better than Matt Ryan, and all all of that is just to say that I agree with Trey that at the current keep trade cut ranking, I think that it's all upside from here. I don't think it's necessarily fringe QB one, but I think he's a solid QB two for your super flex squads. And I'd feel pretty confident. They, we didn't say it. They brought in Tyree kill guys. They're giving (laughs) him every excuse to be successful. So let's just wait and see, but I think the upside is going to be there. All right. All right. Mike check. It is halftime. And today on Halftime, we're keeping it going with this player talk. We're going to talk dynasty stashes. So let me ask each of you, who is someone balls deep in the ranks that you are stashing on the end of your dynasty rosters? John, let's do you first. Yeah, I think um, I think I thought of this one, and I'm going to cheat and not pick one player. <laughs> I'm going to say, <laughs> nice. generally speaking, uh, the Giants' tight end room. And the reason is, uh, every offseason, we see somebody emerge from a tight end room where it's not clear. In the past, we've gotten guys like Darren Waller and Logan Thomas, who, Logan Thomas, who you could just pick a right up off your waivers. And this year, I'm kind of circling the Giants' tight end room uh, for that to potentially happen because... Uh, they drafted Bellinger, and he was the presumed starter. 
He just went on PUP and... Oh no, I didn't even know that. I am learning that right now. Dan Bellinger is my guy. He went on Pup? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? It's, it's, it's right, a quad, dude. He can it's, come off Pup. It's a, it's a quad injury. I don't think uh, I don't think it's a big deal. But the point is that uh, he's probably going to he's definitely going to miss the start of training camp here. And so that's what leads me to believe that this tight end room is wide open. And right now there's Ricky Seals Jones, Jordan Akins, who uh, Houston Texan fans probably Ugh. remember a little bit. And uh, I, I'm going to make a homer call here and undrafted Nebraska guy, Austin Allen. I don't think Ricky Seals Jones is the guy to stash here. Uh, we've seen what he is. He's he's had plenty of opportunity when he was backing up Logan Thomas, and he just didn't do it. Uh, Jordan Akins is interesting. Uh, with the Texans, he was as high as tight end twenty six uh, for two consecutive years. So he's he's thirty years old. He's obviously a veteran, so that might be a nice stash. But I'm I've really and this I know it's a homer call, so you can call me on it. It's fine. But Austin Allen was the Big Ten tight end of the year last year. Um, he, he went undrafted because of injury concerns, but I was listening to a podcast with his agent who said he was running with the ones and twos in OTAs. And that's even when Dan Bellinger was before he got put on PUP. So, uh, you know, the, the upside's there. It's a nice stash to put on your taxi if you've got the room. The most important thing you need to know about Austin Allen, guys, is that he's six foot nine, which is the Whoa. perfect, Ooh. perfect tight end height, six nine there. My goodness. So Donald Parham 2.0 yeah. question mark? Yeah. I mean, right. he's, uh, he's not athletic. Donald Parham Jr. Senior. <laughs> All right, Trey, uh, let's move to you next. Who is your dynasty stash? All right. I'm going to stick with the, uh, the New York Giants here, but uh, I'm going to go with Tyrod Taylor as a, uh, as a quarterback handcuff here. And uh, this is kind of for anybody out there who thinks that Daniel Jones might be bad at football then you should believe there's a realistic possibility that he gets benched at some point this season. Mm. And if that's the case, then Tyrod Taylor seems like one of the highest upside quarterback cuffs that you could go and get because of his rushing ability that he's shown, you know, over the years before he got, you know, stabbed in the lungs by that doctor in, in LA. So, you know, I, I picked him up off waivers in multiple leagues uh, this off season and, you know, I don't think there's like a great chance it's going to work out, but you know, maybe one in five, 20% chance that he ends up filling in for me during bye weeks in my super flex spot this year. So the fact that we've picked two giants so far is every indication where you should ignore everything we've said so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Go big blue. Mitch, what, what giant have you chosen for your dynasty stash? Well, uh, a giant turd, according to John, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've chosen Valus Jones, uh, Chicago Bear. Varicose Jones. Varicose <laughs> Jones. We just talked about him. Yeah. Wide receiver 90 on keep trade cut. And he's like literally on the back end of 90% of my rosters. And it's not because I believe that Varicose is going to win me any fantasy leagues this year. But I do think that we're severely underselling the value of the number two wide receiver in Chicago behind Darnell Mooney. So... If you're a Fields believer like me, you kind of have to take a leap of faith here. So I don't know if he's going to be good. He might not be, but he sure as shit is cheap. And uh, he's going to get a chance at least, and that counts for something. So if they develop a connection, uh, all you're doing is profiting. Like, you can flip him if he starts to uh, perform this year. So I'm acquiring Valus and Tossins, and uh, certainly not really targeting him straight up, but... He's pretty easy for throw-ins. 
Yeah, Varicose Jones. All right, and I'll close this out with my dynasty stash, and that is Julius Chestnut, uh, UDFA for the Titans out of Sacred Heart University. Oh, Ooh. and he plays running back, by the way. He is 5'11", 228 pounds, ran a 4'47 at his pro day, uh, boasted a 44.1% dominator rating in college. Obviously, that was at Sacred Heart, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, I mean, he is unranked on Keep Trade Cut, so definitely a deep stash. He's behind Derrick Henry. Um, and also in that running back room, like we got Hassan Haskins, the fourth round pick. There's Dontrell Hilliard and Jordan Wilkins. So to me, what that means is it's wide open. Mm -hmm. So you should just put on your taxi squad a running back who had a great college profile, who if he sees the field, maybe he turns into something. Otherwise, you can you can drop him whenever. All right. That is going to do it for halftime. Let's go ahead and kick off this second half. We got four more polarizing players to talk about. And at the top of this second half is Gabriel Davis. Guys, this has been the summer of Gabe Davis. Like I have never seen a borderline wide receiver three get as much play <laughs> as Gabe Davis. He's wide receiver 35 on keep trade cut. And my God on fantasy Twitter, like, Every day, it's a Gabe Davis debate, a Gabe Davis fucking duel. Uh, it's ridiculous, like fucking Alexander Hamilton <laughs> and who and and whatever Aaron Burr or whatever guy Aaron he shot. Burr. Nice call. But look, fellas, we actually all have him reasonably below market, like somewhere between wide receiver forty three and forty eight. So. And preparation for this conversation, I tried to move him up just because, like, I wanted to emulate fantasy Twitter and, like, push y'all's buttons. But he's in an area for me that that's really difficult. Like, people ahead of him are solid vets like Michael Thomas and Brandon Cooks, younger upside players like Jahan Dotson and George Pickens. And I just don't feel comfortable moving him up. But Mitch, I'll throw it to you. Where are you at on Gabe Davis outside of just that ranking and why? You know, it's kind of funny. I I feel like if you're a longtime listener to our podcast, you would know that I hated Gabe Davis before it was cool, and I liked him before it was cool too. So <laughs> that's true. We have the receipts. This this conversation is even more tiring here, but we'll do it anyway. So, wide receiver thirty five puts Gabe Davis at right around a first round pick value, and that's just like too damn high like i'm the low guy of course now at wide receiver 48 in my rankings but it wasn't always like that and i want to bring up what we focused on this time last year and uh that's kind of exactly the gabe davis story he was coming off of his rookie season with a 10.9 percent target share and 62 targets and he was averaging 8.6 fantasy points per game and then he just like came alive in the playoffs made some huge plays I was calling them pop plays, like glimpse of what may be ahead. Uh, you know, these plays you can't really ignore. They stuck with me. And then I really thought he was going to break out, and he didn't. He followed it up with literally the same target share, the 10.9%, and dipped to 7.9 points per game. So, uh, and of course, yeah, he has an, uh, another exciting playoff showing. So... Twitter won't shut up. We're doing it again. We're doing it all over again. And like, I get it. Like the situation is great. The Bills offense is incredible. 
but I just don't see Gabriel Davis as that weapon. Like, I don't know if the Bills do either, considering like his snap share went down as well. It went from 71.6 to 49.3. I think that he's just like a guy in that offense that is like, if I'm afraid that Isaiah McKenzie or Jamison Crowder might take your job, I, I just don't think you're very good. So I'm just done on the Gabe Davis dream. I'm trying to sell it all. I'm not going to really argue with any of what you just said, Marles, because I think that's essentially how I feel. But I, I also do understand what happened because it happened to me. End of the season, people saw him score, what was it, like two or three touchdowns? Like, oh my God, this guy looks amazing. I've got to get a piece of that. And I just checked my rosters. I've got him on exactly one roster out of seven. So, and that's mm-hmm. that's where I'm feeling good. Like, that's my advice. It's like, one piece. yeah, get the piece because we saw it happen in one game and maybe it happens again, but I don't want to be on the hook yeah. if it, if it, like, if he drops off the side of the planet, like Marles is saying here. Yeah. And, and John, not everybody is a degen like us. And a lot of people may just only be in one or, or two <laughs> Dynasty Leagues talks, right? So, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like, if that's the case, I mean, do you really want to bet on a guy like developing and taking that? step forward and putting up like a 60 catch 900 yard nine touchdown season because that's what he's going to have to do in that offense to like pay off at that cost right Mm -hmm. and i think that that puts him at above a 15 percent target share which is something that he hasn't even sniffed over the first two years in the league so you know i'm i'm kind of putting him as like 15 percent is sort of a ceiling based on what we've seen so far which means yeah he should be closer to wide receiver 40 in our dynasty ranks and not, you know, 35 or higher. Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree with y'all. I mean, obviously we're all ranking him in the same area, but I will just say very quickly, like the bull case is very respectable target rate, very respectable yards per route run. Yeah. Right. And he projects to be the starting boundary receiver on the bills, right? They added Khalil Shakir, Jamison Crowder, right? These are slot players. Like, they have not replaced his boundary position like they did with Emmanuel Sanders last year. So that's the bull case. Not saying I disagree with y'all, but just had to throw it out there. You know, respectable target rate, respectable yards per route run. You know what his target rate was last year, right? It was like 22%. Which was good for number 47 in the NFL. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, fair. DK Metcalf is our next polarizing player here. Keep trade cut wide receiver 11. I mean, maybe the most athletically dominant receiver in the NFL today. Long live that clip of him turning on the afterburners to catch Buda Baker's would-be pick six, maybe the best highlight of the year last year. I am proud, personally, to be the high man on DK Metcalf. I've got him at wide receiver six. John, you and Trey are right at market, wide receiver 11. So... Give us that top of the bell curve take. (laughs) Yeah, I I like being here for a change. For a long time, I thought DK was really overrated. Everybody had him in the top five. But now I feel like he's finally settled in a place where I'm comfortable uh, having him in my ranks. Um, And I think that the biggest issue is obvious, right? Like who's throwing him the ball? Um, And he's in a rush first offense. So you got to think he's not going to have a lot of opportunities this season in particular But then there's all the questions of what's happening in the future, because they seem pretty committed to keeping him. They've had every opportunity to trade him, start the rebuild. Uh, But no, they're just going to keep on keeping on. So they they drafted a running back and it looks like he's going to probably be the guy this year. But uh, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be in the future. 
that said, I expect him to be the wide receiver one for his team. And like you said, he's very athletically gifted. So I think that's worth something, which is why I snuck him into my uh, wide receiver one range there right at the tail end. Uh, but there, there's more questions than security, especially for this season. And that's why I think the market in general is just a little bit lower nowadays. It's I see the concerns, obviously, like the offense is likely going to be anemic. The quarterbacks are horrible and Drew Locke and or Geno Smith. But like, it's just one of these situations where I'm not overthinking it. Like, I know what kind of player he is. I know his athleticism. I know that his rookie year, he drew 20% target share. His sophomore year, he drew 24% target share. And last year, he drew 27% target share. Like, he's just an animal. And it's one of these situations where I think he's a top five receiver in the NFL, and I'm not going to overthink his dynasty rank at 24 years old. Yeah, Tarek, I'm there with you. I have him at wide receiver seven, so just one spot behind you. And like you said, he's an absolute target hog. And whether this team is good or bad, and they most certainly are going to be bad, like DK is going to eat. And I've planted this flag in previous episodes, but I'll plan it again. I firmly believe he's going to be a wide receiver one this year in points per game as well as moving forward. So, yeah. uh, That's very wishful thinking. Yeah, that seems like a very, very tough projection to make i like it mitch where he's going right now with like the the way like touchdowns are looking in seattle last year i think it's going to be few and far between so i I think it's very safe to bet he finishes outside the top 10 this year i'm buying if i can though if there's a dip i'm buying absolutely i think so i mean to that point like he's a great target for a rebuilder but i i think the the value is only going to continue to dip because like you know you can't value a guy as a top eight top seven player and then have him give you wide receiver 20 value on the season, which is what it, mm. he's projected to give you right now. What if they what if they got Jimmy Garoppolo? Do you think it's it continues to dip from where it is right now? That's a good question. No, it won't. I mean, no. Yeah, agreed. What I'll say is don't pay top six receiver prices for him. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. try to get him at yeah. cost. Right. And it's a fair it's a fair point. Like if we think he's. If Trey is projecting him to finish outside of the top 15 wide receivers, then it stands to reason that his price will dip even more. Um, But look, bad teams support good fantasy options all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's I'm just not overthinking it. That's like DK Metcalf is just he's too good for me to overthink it. That's that's where I'm at. Let's move on to this next guy. Devin Singletary running back for the Buffalo Bills. Bills. He ended the year on an absolute tear, providing running back one numbers throughout the fantasy playoffs. Mitch, you are massively ahead of market on Devin Singletary. <laughs> John, you are pretty below market. Yeah, he he can get fucked. We've got a 23 running back spot difference between the two of you. So <laughs> let's just set the stage. Bull case versus bear case. Mitch versus John. Mitch, go. Am I the bull or the bear? You're taking that bull by the horns. You're the bull. You can, you can be either. I mean, technically, you're the bull, but my cat I know you got is a cat bear. named yeah. Bear. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, look, I'm... John is your cat. That's that's perfect. <laughs> All right. So, like, yeah, I'm definitely cut that, cut that, cut that. Definitely favoring situation over talent a bit here, uh, but I do think that there's talent here too for Devin Singletary. So I'm the high guy, right? I think I have Singletary at running back 26. Looks like I got 26. So, um, but yeah, let's let's think about this for a second. 
Uh, he has already shown the capability of posting sustained running back num running back one numbers on this offense. Um, he's already getting the first team reps, and we knew that. We knew that going in. We should have expected that. And so if you don't think he's going to be the running back one in Buffalo, I really think you should reconsider that. What we saw at the end of the year last year should carry over. I think he should be getting like, I don't know, 17 touches a game. And uh, he should be returning a ton of value at running back. Where Where is the on keep trade 42 cut? 42 on keep trade cut. 42. I mean, that's that's insane. So he's no schmuck in the pass game. He was number six in routes run last year and number 24 in targets. So, yeah, James Cook is going to eat into that, no doubt. But... If the Bills offense is churning, this guy is their running back one. Like there is a there is a potential that he could be literally a top twelve running back, and you're getting him at running back forty two right now. Like that, that's just incredible value for me. Incredible is the right word. Incredibly wrong is what I would go with though, <laughs> because right now the I'm looking at the startup ADP and Singletary's going. Running back 37, James Cook running back 27. I don't think both of those things can be true. Um, not with the way Josh Allen runs the ball. My hypothesis and the reason that I've got Devin Singletary so low is that right now is the cheapest you will ever be able to get James Cook. I think after this season, he's firmly in the top 20. And we're not talking about Devin Singletary except to Think back on this episode. Remember when we were talking about Devin Singletary? That was silly. I think he's going to be by the wayside by the end of the season, and it's going to be the James Cook show. So that, it's got, I've got nothing against Singletary. Everything you said, I agree with. I think he's a fine running back. I just think he's going to get run out of town. Yeah, John. And just to pile on here, I think uh, the thing that Mitch said that I disagree with the most is that he's like no slouch in the passing game. Out of like starting running backs in the league, like he ranked 30th in the uh, league in yards per route run last year. So he's incredibly inefficient when they were you know targeting him so th that's the reason why they spent high draft capital on james cook it's why they were pursuing jd mckissick earlier in the offseason they knew they needed that pass catching running back in the system so his ceiling to me is like what damian harris did last year like a two down running back who's going to you know start and and get a lot of carries but he's not going to get a lot of the passing volume so yeah maybe i'm legislating usage a little bit there but there's efficiency numbers and there's actions by the team to back that up trey i'll give you that that that's absolutely fair but i still think that we're cutting singletary short of his own ability i mean if you look at those games at the end of the season and end of the playoffs like he looked good like he was playing extremely well and that counts for something i i really do think that he's earned himself a role maybe maybe more than just that two down roll that we're talking here. I think what y'all need is a nice dose of moderation and angry T is going to provide that for you. So like Mitch said, got a lot of volume through the air. Like Trey said, was one of the worst running backs with that volume through the air. Basically what I think is Devin Singletary. He's earned himself about 15 touches per game and that is, is going to be worth more than running back 42 on that Bills offense. So I think he's a value right now. I don't think he's going to blow the doors off and be like a top 20 dynasty asset like within a year. But I, I think like you, the cost of acquisition for Devin Singletary, if that running back 42 price or 37 on sleeper ADP 
is worth anything. I, I mean, it's such a it's such an easy price to buy into. So yeah, um, I, I I don't think it's yeah he's polarizing obviously because we have this big gap between him, but I I don't know if it's that big of a deal. I don't know how to express this. Well, it, there's like, just not a lot of upside, right? It's kind of like Damian Harris last year. Like we we looked at that situation, we were like, he's obviously undervalued. But then like he came in, he outperformed ADP, but like, you know, was a, a mid running back too. And I think you can, that's sort of the ceiling that we should expect. All right. Trey, are you paying a second round pick for Devin Singletary? No. A rookie second round pick. Mitch, are you paying a rookie second round pick for Devin Singletary? Yes. All right. I'm probably more on the side of Mitch than I am on Trey. So just to throw out a quick price there for the listener. All right. Final polarizing player we're going to talk about today is Trey Lance, quarterback for the 49ers. Jimmy G still hanging around and his broken shoulder still hanging around too. So apparently that's holding up any kind of trade. But we are tentatively expecting Trey Lance to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers this year. We can probably expect an elite rushing floor out of the second year player. Remains to be seen what he's able to do with his arm and as such, like how long he is for an NFL starting job. But, you know, if Daniel Jones can do it for five years, so can Trey Lance. Let's go to Trey, not just for name symmetry, but also because you're technically the high man on Lance. But that has you right at market at quarterback eight. Yeah, and I'm I'm with the market here because I think that the rushing upside for Trey Lance is on par with the very best in the league. I think it's on par with guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And just to remind the listener, Trey Lance put up 1,100 rushing yards at NDSU in 16 games back in 2019, and that was before he got drafted third overall a year ago by by San Fran. So. Look, I don't think he's going to come in and start and immediately be Lamar Jackson his first year as a starter, but I do think that he's going to get the majority of the reps. He's going to have his ups and downs. He's going to show flashes. And we've seen guys like uh, Jalen Hurts, early Lamar Jackson. They've proven that these flawed run-first quarterbacks can still be valuable even with limited passing numbers. So that's what I'm expecting. The median outcome there is like a borderline QB1 and the upside is a top five quarterback. So why wouldn't you want in at low end QB one prices? Yeah, that's uh, th- th- I think the key word that I heard there was expectation. I, I hear I'm hearing a lot of projection here and that's fine because that's how you win the game is you get ahead of the market. But at the same time, to take Trey Lance at quarterback eight, uh, you have to take him above Russell Wilson, uh, Matthew Stafford. Derek Carr, these are guys that are basically guaranteed to be top 15 quarterbacks this year and probably for the next few years. (laughs) So I would much rather not pay that price for a guy that I'm hoping turns into Superman when I can get a guy that is going to be a really solid QB one for the next few years. It's very simple for me. I think the market's got this all wrong. Uh, I think you're, you're hoping and the sacrifice is too big when you could play it a little bit safe and get just as much upside, I think. I mean, Matthew Stafford's going to throw 5,000 yards this year. Uh, Russell Wilson's going to be with the Broncos slinging it. I, I just, I would much prefer to have those guys on my roster. Yeah, let me jump in here because you, you said one thing right and one thing wrong. So <laughs> I do I that have, all the time. I have Trey Lance at quarterback nine because I do agree with you. I, I don't think that you can take him over Russell Wilson. I have Russell Wilson one spot ahead. But I do think 
you should take Trey Lance over Matthew Stafford because Trey Lance offers an immense upside for a long period of time, as were Matt Stafford, as we've talked about on this show. You know exactly what you're getting. And I'm, so uh, I'm ready to push my chips in. Uh, Trey, you've convinced me here. My fear of Jimmy G retaining the job, like that that was what I said in the previous episode was just keeping me off of moving him from like quarterback 13 to quarterback eight or nine where he is now. So he immediately with this talk of Jimmy G getting out of here, like I that fear is gone. Uh, so Lance is immediately in that top 10 with uh, with the weapons surrounding him. So. Yeah, I, and that's just the price of admission. Like, you're not going to get them for any cheaper than that. So you do have to make that gamble and that sacrifice. But like John, like you said, I mean, that's how you win. Like Trey, let me ask you really quickly. Like, with Trey Lance, what we are doing in investing in kind of a low-end quarterback one like Trey Lance over somebody like Russell Wilson, over somebody like Matthew Stafford, what we're doing there is we're chasing asymmetric upside. That's right. Right. We're not worried about him being out of the league in two years. We're not worried about, you know, any kind of narrative about what Trey Lance could or couldn't be, other than the fact that he could be a perennial top five rushing quarterback mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. Right. And that's why we're betting on him in that range. Absolutely. It's a ticket to get into that elite tier. Like if you want a top five or a top three quarterback, you know, this is your ticket, your opportunity to do so. And it lets you buy in without having to pay, you know, full freight for like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. You know, this is a guy who is going significantly cheaper than that still. Uh, and you know, we're not even suggesting to like back up the Brinks truck for him. We're saying this is the market price and the market's right here. Well, let's, let's just be clear what the price of the ticket is, because right now the sleeper ADP has him going 25th overall in super flex startups, um, which is the beginning. That's a lot lower than second overall, right? right. That where okay. Justin okay. Herbert is going, but what right? You, what you're saying there is you'd rather take a chance on a guy than taking a guy like AJ Brown, Debo yes. Samuel, Joe Mixon, Devontae Adams. These yes. are like sure things. In a super flex league, absolutely. Okay. Yes. I, I'm not there. I'm definitely not. Shoot for the stars, man. And on that beautiful disagreement, <laughs> on that beautiful polarization, that north and south pole, we got Trey, Mitch, and Tarek on the north and John on the south. <laughs> Wait, you know Pulling what? us all down. It's, it's, it's a lot colder in the north, so that take is very polar, I think. That's yeah, so and you got, you got penguins down there, whereas we just got like polar bears floating around on, <laughs> on, on melting ice caps. You know, so, Trey Lance uh, you know. did play his college ball in North Dakota, so he's used to the, uh, the polar north. That's right. All right. <laughs> with, with that, uh, we're going to close out episode 64 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Hope you got some mileage out of these debates that we had over these polarizing players. One more shout out to our Tony Reale, Kyle Bell, who came up with this show idea. We love you, man. Hi, Kyle. Uh, we will see y'all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. No, I ain't.